Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Yeah, it's an exciting time for us. Uh, so uh, as you saw on the, on the video clip, next week Sunday we're going to uh, launch our official, well, our official launch for the Santon service, for the uh, Santon uh, congregation. And um, yeah, I just want to start by thanking all of you guys for your involvement, whether it was just uh, by being um, involved as leaders, helping to raise up leaders financially or through prayers or encouragement or whatever it was. Um, it's just, you know, what, what strikes me particularly is when uh, Christine says when she arrived here in 2007, the first service in Woodmead that she attended, there were about 10 to 12 people in the congregation or in the service. And look at us now. Look what the Lord has done. And now we're going to do our first uh, official church plant. And um, all of that is just evidence of God's goodness on our lives and God's favor on our lives and, and God's faithfulness in our lives. So uh, it's a big celebration this morning of what the Lord has done, what the Lord is doing and what the Lord's going to do. Amen? <laughs> cool. So I'm going to just quickly share with you and I'm going to try and uh, be brief. Um, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to try and keep it to to 20 or 25 minutes, but um, many people have a question, you know, a big part of our vision as uh, Shofar is, like I said, making disciples, raising up leaders and planting churches, you know, but many people have questions like why, why should we plant churches? Um, quite a bit of what, what I'm going to share comes from a talk that um, Tim Keller gave on, on why plant churches, and, and he says there are, there are three, when it comes to church planting, there are three groups in the world. Three groups of people. It says the one group is a group that thinks church planting is unnecessary and not really a good idea. And they're quite a large group. And they have all kinds of reasons why they say, you know, church planting is not such a good idea. Like, I mean, there are already many churches in the community. Do we really need more churches? All the churches that we have in the community aren't full. Why not rather fill them up, you know? Um, stuff like... Um, you know, it's, it might be discouraging for older churches that are barely keeping their noses above water, you know, when they see new churches being planted. Um, and, um, you know, some, some people will say, no, you know, we're becoming more of a secular community. Um, the church going public is actually a shrinking pie, you know. Um, so why, why do we want to plant more churches? Um, but all of those objections, they, they sound like common sense, but they're all based on, on some um, serious wrong assumptions about church planting and uh, the Great Commission as a whole. Uh, so, you know, you have, but you have this one rather large group that says, no, church planting is unnecessary, it's actually a bad idea, um, especially in our country where there are already a lot of churches, you know, a country like South Africa. Um, then the other group... Uh, another very large group is a group that says, no, church planting is very exciting and a great idea. And they like, rah, rah, yes, we must go plant churches, let's go. Um, but they don't really know why. So when the second group meets the first group, they can't convince them because they, they're very excited about church planting, but they don't really know. They can't really articulate why church planting is a good idea. Um, so when these two first, first two groups, which probably make up about 99.9% of, of people, you know, when it comes to church planting, when they come together, they can't really convince each other. But then there's a, a very small group, a third group, 
Keller says, they think church planting is a great idea, a really, uh, very good idea, but they also know why it's a good idea. But he says that's a very small group. <laughs> so that's why we're going to look a little bit at, you know, why we do church planting. Keller starts off by saying the vigorous, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for, number one, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city, and number two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of existing churches in a city. Nothing else, not crusades, not outreach programs, not parachurch ministries that get started, not growing old-fashioned megachurches, not congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. This is an eyebrow-raising statement, but to those who have done the research, it's not at all controversial. <clears throat> Many, you know, denominational studies have been done, and all of them that I know of, without exception, have found this to be true. Planting new churches is the single best way of reaching cities uh, and, and new places, uh, statistically, better than any other method we know of. Does that surprise some of you? I'm sure it surprises a few of you. Um, so, let's... Um, I'm just going to look at it sort of in, in, in sort of three ways. Um, why church planting is important, why it's in, uh, a, such a big part of our vision um, as, as Shofar Christian Church. Number one, it was the best way for Paul to fulfill the Great Commission back then. Um, it is the best way for us to fulfill the Great Commission right now. And in fact, it's the only way to fulfill the Great Commission at all. So let's look at that. It was the best way for Paul to fulfill the Great Commission back then. We... Uh, you see Jesus giving the command we look at that scripture just now uh, go into all the world, make disciples baptizing them, teaching them etc, I'm with you always to, even to the end of the age and um, we see Paul obviously in obedience to that command doing evangelism, I mean he was probably the greatest missionary um, in the early church, and arguably the greatest missionary ever, he turned Europe upside down. Pagan Europe, a, a couple of decades after his execution, you know, uh, became largely Christian, and a few hundred years after his conversion was mostly Christian. But built very largely on his influence and, and so on. So he's, he's arguably the greatest missionary of all times, the greatest evangelist of all times. And his strategy, the heart of his strategy, was planting churches. In other words, in obedience, when he said, okay, I want to obey the Great Commission to go and make disciples, how did he obey that commission? By going to plant churches. Okay? And um, in Romans 15, just listen to this. This is quite a striking um, Scripture, when you think about it, uh, Romans 15 from verse 18, it says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Just, just think about that for a moment. Paul is talking about his church planting uh, ministry, because that's what he did. He planted churches, and then in those churches raised up disciples. He's, plant, he's talking about his church planting ministry, and he says, I won't venture to talk about anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So what is Paul saying here? He's effectively saying that Jesus is into church planting. 
But isn't that exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 16? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he goes on, he says, um, I will not venture to um, speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of um, the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus... I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Then verse 23 says, But now, since I no longer have any room for work, now I've basically finished the work in that area, in that region, um, in these regions, um, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Go to Spain to do what? To go and plant churches. But not what he says here. And this is quite striking. Paul is saying, from Jerusalem all the way through to Alaricum, um, which is basically sort of a, a massive part, a big part of the Middle East, you know, um, he's saying, I fulfilled my ministry. I've completed the work. There's no more, there's no more room for me to, to do this, this pioneering work. I've preached the gospel. And how can he say I've fulfilled my ministry in that vast region? Well, he tells us. When he shows us through his letters, he has planted churches. In other words, what I want you to see um, from this is, is Paul made a few assumptions. Paul's whole strategy assumed that the best way to permanently, the best and most permanent way to reach a region was through its major cities. You don't look at, at, at Acts and at Paul's um, outreach mission strategy, and what he did was he mainly went to the major cities. There are some exceptions, and, and, and often there are practical reasons why he, uh, there, are, there are those exceptions. Um, in fact, when he went to, to the little towns of Galatia, you know, and planted churches there, and amongst others he met Timothy there, he says, it was because of an illness that I first came to you. I wasn't actually planning. You weren't part of my planning, my strategy, but I got sick. Uh, and, and I, you know, because he went to most of the coastal cities, the big harbor cities, because they were the massive cities of the time, um, and, and planted churches there. Uh, but there was something exceptional that happened that drove him to little towns. Uh, probably maybe the, the um, humid sort of um, atmosphere of the, of the coastal towns. Maybe he got sick and the humidity wasn't good for him and he went inland to the little towns. But that was the exception. For the most part, he went to the major cities and planted churches. So, so the assumption clearly was that if he can effectively reach the major cities of a region, then he has reached the region. And secondly, the best way to permanent, the best and most permanent way to reach the ma those major cities was by planting churches in them, planting viable, uh, growing, healthy, multiplying churches in them. And then the third assumption that he makes, and, and, and he refers to this in, in, in Romans 15, the best and most permanent way to plant those kinds of churches in, in, in these cities was to plant the gospel in them. So Paul planted churches by planting the gospel. In other words, in Paul's thinking, the gospel is like, Jesus says, it's like a seed. You plant it and it grows. In modern terms, we talk of it as an idea virus. An idea virus. Now, we, we know a lot about this in social media because, you know, you get ideas that go viral. 
And they can be good ideas or bad ideas, but, but the idea is um, that an idea can go viral, it can spread, it can become contagious, as it were. Now, Paul is basically saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the ultimate idea virus. It's very contagious. Very contagious. So, the best way to reach a region is to reach its major cities. The best way to reach those cities is by planting churches in them, and the best way to plant churches is by planting the gospel in those cities. Can you see Paul's assumptions? Can you see um, how he's thinking and how he's, how he's working? Um, so, that's in Paul's time. And many people might say, yes, you know, sure, that was back then in Paul's time. But there were no churches then. So obviously church planting was important. But what about now? I mean, there are churches all over the place. Why is church planting still important now? Surely now it's not important anymore. Um, so the second point I want to make is that the best uh, way for us to fulfill the Great Commission right now is to plant churches. Church planting is the best way to reach a new generation. Um, you'll notice, and, and, and this is sort of intuitive, and you can just by observation see that churches that don't plant churches or denominations that don't plant churches become older and older until eventually they're in danger of dying out. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to notice this. Uh, in Europe, um, I, I have quite a few friends in, in England, and I say there are so many churches there. If, you know, he's a young South African, um, uh, you know, married South African, and he says when he and his wife walked into those churches, um, and they were just people of 60, 70, 80 years old, they were so desperate to keep them, they sort of overwhelmed them, and they, were, they felt so awkward, you know, because young people are not being reached in many places in, in, in Europe and, and uh, England um, because up till very recently there wasn't a lot of church planting. Now that is busy changing, um, but we see the effect. Um, let me just read, read this for you what, what Keller says. Um, younger adults have always been disproportionately found in newer congregations. Long-established congregations develop traditions such as time of worship, length of service, emotional responsiveness, sermon topics, leadership style, emotional atmosphere, and thousands of other tiny customs and mores which reflect the sensibilities of the long-time leaders uh, from the older generations who have the influence and the money to control church life. This does not reach younger generations. Now, you can understand this, you know. People change slower than the society around them. That's always true. That's why we as older people sort of start to feel like technological dinosaurs after a while, you know. You don't even know about all the social media platforms anymore, you know. Um, society just changes so fast and it's impossible for you to change everything that you were brought up with and that was instilled in your life to change it as fast as society is changing. It's impossible. And new generations are constantly coming up with new cultural ideas, new focus, and changing very quickly. And typically, uh, because of that, church communities cannot change as fast as the society around them. It's, it's impossible. It's just it's unfair to expect people to change as fast as the community around them. So you'd expect, as a congregation matures, 
there's sort of an inertia, a cultural inertia that goes with that congregation. But the society around us is changing a lot faster. So that in a couple of generations, even one or two, two generations, that community, that church community, has a culture that re- reflects 30 odd years ago, which was the dominant culture 30 odd years ago, but is not the dominant culture among the youth in the year and now. And therefore, it's not as effective at reaching the youth. Right? Um, I I heard that in in any given region, the the slowest things to change are always the restaurants and the churches. (laughs) You, You go to, you know, some other place that, you know, say in London or any big city, you know, that used to be, say, for example, Chinatown. You know, and a couple of decades later, you know, there's a lot more integration. There used to be like a very strong Chinese community, but now it's much more integrated. But there are still Chinese restaurants, and there are still Chinese churches. <laughs> but everything else has has pretty much moved on. <laughs> and it just shows you, you know, churches have a form of tradition, and therefore a tradition is a form of cultural inertia. So they don't change uh, as fast as the society around them, and therefore then eventually become ill-equipped to each younger generations. And that's why you need to plant new churches that reflect the new culture of the new generations. Uh, and, and, and new churches are then more effective at reaching new generations. New churches are, are more effective at reaching new residents. New residents are almost always reached better by new congregations. In older congregations, it may require tenure of 10 years or, or more before you are allowed into a place of leadership and influence. But in new churches, new residents tend to, to uh, have equal power as long-time area residents. Because, I mean, you plant a new church and everyone's new in the church. So it's not like you'll find this dynamic in, in, in sort of traditional churches or long-established churches that um, the Glamini family or the Fomfiren family, you know, they've been in this church for generations, you know, and they carry a lot of weight. Whatever they say, that goes. Because they have tenure. And and in a sense, it's fair because, I mean, those people and families that have been in churches for a long time, they've poured out their lives and invested in those churches to, when those churches were planted, you know, to get them established and so on. So it it just, in a sense, is fair that they have influence. But then for new residents to come in, it takes, takes you up to 10 years before you're, like, really recognized as an established member of the community that can now enter a leadership position. But in a new church, there's no such thing. There's, there's no such history. Everyone starts on equal footing because it's a new church. And, and new residents has, have as much of a chance to become uh, leaders in a new church as long-established members. Can, can you see that Just some of these things are just um, very obvious and common sense? Um, New churches, church planting is the best way to reach new cultural groupings. New socioeconomic groupings in a community are always reached better by new congregations. For example, if new white-collar commuters move into an area where the older residents were farmers, it is likely that a new church will be more receptive to the myriad of needs of the new residents than uh, while the older churches will continue to be orientated to the original social grouping. And in the same way, new um, racial or ethnic groupings are also reached better by new church plants, which are intentionally multiracial from the beginning. 
or I don't, I don't like the word multiracial because I don't think there are there's more than one race. I think there's one race, the human race, but there are different ethnicities. They're all just different shades of brown. I'm very light brown, so you can hardly see it. I'm not white. <laughs> this page is white, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not white. I'm called white, but I'm not white. It's a misnomer, <laughs> you know. And my darker brothers and sisters, my wife, for instance, she's not black. You hold a you know, piece of, you know, put it next to one of those chair, black chairs, you'll see she's not black. She's just dark brown, you know, darker brown than me. So we're all just different shades of brown. But <laughs> scientifically, it's true. I mean, skin color is dependent on a on a skin pigment called melanin, which is a brown skin pigment. So you either have a little of it and you're light brown, or you have a lot of it and you're dark brown. It's only one color, it's brown, right? But so there's, there's only one race, the human race, but, but new churches are better at reaching new cultural and ethnic groups. Think about this. Just think about how traditional churches that you know of are struggling. You know, in South Africa, we come from a very segregated past. You know, you have white churches and you have black churches and, you know, all kinds of segregated churches. But traditional churches are struggling terribly, many of them, to integrate, even if they want to. Because, I mean, you take a typical Afrikaner church, you know, there's an established Afrikaner culture. There's the Afrikaans language. There's all kinds of stuff that we're not even aware of. Now you, you have a cause a gentleman or lady or something walking into that church and wanting to become part of that church is very difficult. It's very difficult because there's this very strong culture that you have to break into, sort of from the outside, and your culture, there's, there's, there's not that much space to accommodate your culture. So it, it is very difficult, just on a practical level. But in new churches, there is no such culture, such cultural momentum. So new churches, it's much more easy for new churches to create cultural space for new ethnic and cultural groupings. Okay. Um, new churches, uh, church planting is the best way to reach unchurched people. Uh, lots of congregational studies have, have shown that in the typical church plant, new church, young church plant, um, anything between 60 and 80% of new members um, come from the ranks of people who didn't go to church before. In other words, unchurched people. Some, of, sometimes, often, there are people who sort of grew up maybe in church, but for years now have not gone to church, or people who have not gone to church at all. 60 to 80% of new members in new churches come from the ranks of people who haven't been going to church regularly before. Whereas in established churches of 10 to 15 years and older, and especially larger churches, 80 to 90% of church growth comes from transfer from other churches. Now it's the bulk, the vast majority of church growth is not people getting saved, but just people transferring from one congregation to another. Which means that in effect, new churches are around six to eight times more effective at reaching unchurched people than established churches of 10 years or older. That's quite impressive, huh? That's quite... Which means that... Um, now, let me just also say, there is a definite place for established churches. Um, established churches, you know, they are very powerful institutional pressures that, that for, uh, over time, um, 
drive churches towards focusing much of their resources and energy inward to the needs of the congregants. Whereas young churches, which, which are church plants, which are small, they have to focus outward to the needs of non-members. And all the energy and resources goes to that, focusing on that. So you can understand that they're very effective at reaching non-members. Whereas as you, become, as you grow and you become older, I mean, there are families, you need to start um, all kinds of programs to, to, to meet the needs of the families. So there are very good reasons and very legitimate reasons why older churches start focusing a bit more inward and on meeting the needs of... And, and, and there is a stability and a steadiness and a ability to meet needs that comes with time, which younger churches don't have. So what I'm trying to say here, and why I want to just bring that balance, is the best way of reaching a city is to plant new churches, uh, and we'll see that planting new churches also revitalizes old churches, but a partnership between old and new churches is the best way of reaching any city. You need older churches, which do certain things very well, but you also need new churches. It's not like you need one or the other, you need both. Both are important. But the only way you're going to have both is if the older churches plant new churches. Right? Um, and then, uh, like I said, new churches also one of the best ways to revitalize existing churches. Um, I'm just going to maybe read your... I'm not going to go into that one in too much depth, but I just want to read you some of, of the reasons um, Tim Keller mentions. He says... Firstly, new churches bring new ideas to the whole body. Just think about this. You know, in an older church, you know, as you become more established, you become more risk averse. That's a natural thing. You know, as we become older, as as human beings, we become more risk averse. Younger people are like, rah, rah, let's go for it. You know, you know, take a chance. You know, risk it all because you don't have that much to lose, <laughs> right? But as you become older, you get more and more to lose. You have more and more responsibility for more and more people. So you become more and more risk averse. So the investments you make financially become more and more conservative. But also the investments you make in, your, in terms of your, your time and your energy also become more and more conservative, which is a natural thing to do. Um, and therefore, older churches with more established people in them don't want to take the risks of implementing new ideas because they're too risky, right? But the new church is like, we'll try anything <laughs> and see if it works. We'll throw all kinds of mud at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> because, I mean, we're, we've got that capacity to take risk, you know. Not doing anything is the biggest risk for us. Not trying new things is the biggest. And then new churches, you know, maybe someone in a congregation, an established congregation, comes with this new idea. Let's try this. This is going to work, you know, to reach new people. And the other uh, congregation says, no, you know, that's not the way we do things. And then the new church down the road tries it, and it works so well that the older church is like, hang on, you know, this actually works. It's no, it's no longer so, so big a risk. In fact, it's a risk not to do this because... All the other churches are starting to do it now because it works so well. Let's do it as well. And then that new idea gets incorporated into an older church and the older church grows. The more established church grows. Secondly, new churches are one of the best ways to surface creative, strong leaders for the whole body. Anytime you plant a new church, you need new leaders. And there's more space. I mean, in a, in a large church, there's, in a sense, only so much leadership space. 
But every time you plant a church, you have to multiply your leadership. So the church, like we're doing now, um, Shofar Randberg is planting Shofar Santon. So we're sending a lot of our strong leaders to, to Santon and, and saying, you know, you guys go there. So now all of, all of a sudden we, we have a bit of a leadership vacuum and more guys on this side have to stand up into leadership positions. But there also there are more leadership opportunities in that side because you've now all of a sudden, as you've multiplied the congregations, you've multiplied the opportunities and the leadership positions. And those leaders can eventually go to other churches and sometimes more established churches and go and be great leaders there as well. Third, uh, new churches challenge the other churches to, to re-examine themselves. You know, the, the reality is we as human beings tend towards complacency. That's just a natural human, you know, thing. You know, we, we tend to coast. We tend to sort of try and get to a place where we take things easy and where you can just sort of go on autopilot. And, and, and especially with communities, that happens. And when new churches get planted, you know, as an existing church, it's easy for you to say, oh, you know, phew, you know, the ground where we're working is so hard and that's why we're not really reaching people. And then they plant a new church around the corner and all of a sudden they're reaching new people and the ground doesn't look so hard anymore. <laughs> and you realize that maybe it was because we have become complacent. And the new church actually challenges you to re-examine and say, but hang on, actually you can. Even in our cult, modern culture, you can actually reach, reach uh, new people. Fourth, the new churches may be an evangelistic feeder to the whole community. You know, people that older, more established churches wouldn't reach get saved in young church, but eventually they many reasons, they end up in more established churches. And then they, you know, maybe great young leaders, um, they, they've re-excited. They still have a lot of friends that are in the world that they can then draw into those older churches. And so, I mention those four things as examples of how established churches are revitalized by the planting of new churches. Does that make sense? And, and, and you, tip, you, you actually, the research has been done, you actually see this. It's, it, this is not just theory. This is actually what you see happening on the ground when new churches get planted. The established churches also benefit from it. Okay. Um, that's why I see Peter Wagner can say, planting new churches is the most effective evangelism strategy under heaven. That's quite an impressive statement, right? Planting new churches is the most effective evangelism strategy under heaven. And Peter Wagner is um, one of the leading missiologists in the world. He was at Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, I'm not sure where he is now, but he's really a, um, a, a, a researcher on the forefront of church planting. He's done lots, decades of research. And he's, for him to say this is very significant. So he said that... Um, Planting new churches was the best way for Paul to fulfill the Great Commission back then. Planting new churches is the best way for us to fulfill the Great Commission right now. But in fact, thirdly, planting new churches is the only way for us to fulfill the Great Commission at all. Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20 uh, says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. Two things I want you to notice. It says, go and as you go, make disciples. That's the main command. And then he says, baptizing them and teaching them. Can disciples baptize themselves? Can they teach themselves? That implies community. In fact, if you go and look at the book of Acts, you'll see that water baptism is supposed to reflect what God through His Spirit does on the inside, on the outside. And it's always connected with incorporation into a local community, a, a local church congregation. You cannot baptize yourself in water. You cannot take yourself by the air and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you know. <laughs> you, need, <laughs> you need someone else to baptize you because baptism is it's, it's designed that way because baptism, water baptism, is part of incorporation into a church community. In other words, we so often read the Great Commission as, oh, I must go and evangelize and make disciples. That's not, it's, it's not about making converts. It's about making disciples within, and this is implied, within the local church community. But not only that, Jesus says, secondly, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember what Jesus says earlier in that same book, in the, book, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew? He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm in their midst. You see, why, why does Jesus say, I'm with you always. Because the you, which, if I remember correctly, is in the plural, not singular, not you singular, you plural, are gathering in my name as you go to make disciples. Can you see that, in fact, the only way to fulfill the Great Commission is by planting churches? It's impossible to fulfill the Great Commission otherwise. Okay. I think you get the point. So church planting is not just the best way to fulfill the Great Commission. It's the only way to do so. And this is why all Christians should be involved in church planting, either by sending or by being sent. If, you want to, if you're a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, part of your discipleship is being taught all that Jesus has commanded, the apostles and, and through them the rest of the church and part of that what Jesus has taught is plant churches implicitly plant churches uh, so in other words if you want to be a disciple you have to be involved in some way in church planting either as by sending others to plant or by being sent to plant and both of those are equally important and those are the two almost sides of the coin that we're looking at this morning um, we have the, the guys from Santon who are going, uh, who are being sent to plant the Santon congregation, and then we have the the rest uh, of the congregation here in Randburg who are sending them to go and plant the Santon congregation. So we, all of us, are planting church. It's not like the Santon guys are going to plant church, or the and the Randburg guys are going to stay behind. We're all planting church, either by being sent or by sending. Amen. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord God, that Lord, by your grace, Lord God, uh, we can plant a new congregation. Lord, and um, thank you, Lord God, that it's just an expression of your life in all of us, Lord. And, and we pray, Lord God, that, that as, we, as we grow and multiply, Lord, as a living um, 
spirit-filled organism, Lord God, that, Lord, the life and, and, and the newness of life, Lord, Lord, that this will be a spring season for us, that there will be new buds, new leaves, new blossoms, new fruit, new growth in every area, Lord, in the, in the Rambo congregation and in the Santon congregation, Lord. But as Rambo congregation, Lord, we want to send, Lord, every single person, that's going to be part of the Santon Church plant with a blessing in Jesus' name, Lord. With your blessing in Jesus' name, Lord God. And, and we pray, Lord God, that they will really experience, Lord God, that your favor, Lord, is upon them. Lord, we pray, Lord, especially for, for Stefan and Lauren, Lord, as, as the guys who are going to be taking the lead, Lord God. Um, in many ways, we pray a special blessing over them and their family, Lord, but over every single person, individual and family, that's going to be part of, of this exciting new venture, Lord. We pray a blessing over them, Lord. We pray, Lord, that, that even the hard times, Lord, will, that you'll use it, Lord, to make them stronger, make them better, make them more like you, Lord. Lord, we just want to, Lord, pray, Lord, above all, Lord, above everything, that all of us will experience your promise that you are with us always, even to the ends of the age. Where two or three are gathered in your name, you are with us. We just pray that we'll experience that whenever we come together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. <laughs>